G'day there guys and welcome back to the Blowing Cartridges podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Zach, and as always, joined by my lovely co-host Brendan. Brendan, can you give us your quickest intro possible, please? Brendan Tam is here to partay. Okay, I think that timed in at about two seconds and 36 milliseconds. So is that a, is that a personal best, you reckon, in terms of intro speeds for you? I reckon so, Zach. I think it's a pretty quick one, and I think it was a pretty quick intro on your part. Though, what I'm really wondering is, did you manage to find Tataka's song in Wii Music? You said you were going to chain yourself to that game for a couple of weeks. Uh, did did I uh, get no, into the Wii? No, no, no luck. I mean, I did. Oh, did I do a couple of weeks of play? No, I did not. But did I have a look? Uh, a very, very brief attempt. Um, but a lot more hours spent online um, searching through various YouTube videos just to get ideas and taking some notes for some ideas on where it may be. But, um, you yeah, know, no luck at this stage. Um, you know, I, hopefully by the time I discover it, I'll become YouTube famous. Um, so you'll be well aware of, 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 of the, my discovery online. <laughs> so no, no speed running of Tataka's song in your future? Not yet, not yet. So... Uh, you actually then, you've, you've given away what an un, unsubtle uh, joke about what this episode is is largely about, though not complete, and that is speedrunning, which, you know, at the time of recording, which may be potentially a few weeks ago, potentially longer, <laughs> can't tell with our track record, um, but it is, it is Summer Games Done Quick, sort of a bi-annual uh, speedrunning event to raise money for uh, various foundations, swaps, I think, between events. That is a week-long thing where people take games, uh, both beloved and sometimes just obscure or even not that well-beloved, uh, and beat them as fast as they can, which is uh, a very interesting concept. You know, we might have touched on speedruns a little bit in other episodes, you know, about like streaming and, and esports and the like and where speedrunning sort of fits in that. But I think we just wanted to delve a little bit deeper into the idea and the appeal of speedrunning, uh, as well as just talk about these sort of self-imposed challenges that people sometimes set themselves in in games that may go above and beyond any intention of, of the people creating them. So let's kick right into it. I think for me, my first experience with speedrunning uh, as, as an audience member was probably well, years ago, back when Twitch was still Justin.tv, and there was this group called the Speed Gamers that would do sort of a similar concept to, uh, I guess, Games Done Quick, where they do a marathon of playing through a series of games as quickly as they can, uh, basically the idea being that they can't stop the marathon until they finish every game. So in some respect, the speed element came more out of a necessity to try and the end to a marathon uh, that could go days or or you know longer uh, rather than uh, an initial attempt to beat any sort of record they may hold in the game uh, and again the, again the focus being to donate for charity which uh, I feel like is really steeped within the speedrunning community this idea of, of doing these sort of charity live streams and I remember they did like Zelda and Mario surprise surprise two big Nintendo games <laughs> but also two good good series that have a lot of games in them um, and a great, you know, sort of marathoning games and speedrunning games because uh, as an audience member, if you've never seen speedrunning, I think seeing it done on a, on a game that you are familiar with is always way more interesting and usually appealing uh, than, than uh, something you've never seen before because you can actually understand why that particular time uh, of beating it is so impressive. Uh, and it, and, I would say back then they weren't even doing like what a lot of people do in speedruns these days, which is they they find glitches and and turn you know multi hour long games into you know minute long games. This was very much trying to almost play the games as intended, just in a very quick and precise manner, which was um which was very sort of different, but still I think captured the same essence of just being impressed to see someone be so proficient at executing a set of um. Mm-hmm. commands but yeah that, that's sort of my initial sort of exposure to it brendan i don't know if you can recall when you first heard about speed running and that phenomenon within the the games community 
I think it's probably a similar period. It would have been that late 2000s era where I was watching, tuning into websites like your screw attacks and as you going on Justin TV and seeing some streams, like I probably can't really recall any particular groups or individual speed running, but I do remember watching those classic games that were the early, I guess, targets of speed runners, your Super Mario's, um, particularly the NES one, which of course we'll probably go into it a bit deeper, but has ele- has elements in the game design that allows that to be speed run quite quickly. Things like Super Mario 64, again, another Mario game, probably a bit of a theme there. And then generally it just, it was, the focus has always been very much on platformers, particularly those 8-bit and 16-bit ones from my recollections. And those are the ones I can remember in that era always seeing to pop up. I probably wasn't the most engaged in that space. I, if I had to think about it, I wouldn't particularly say that speed running is something that I've spent a lot of time watching or looking into. But I think to grab a point that you were just discussing, I think what I do find impressive about speed running and particularly about the early days of speed running is that it very much did focus on your proficiency at a particular game, your mastery over different mechanics and different elements of what was at the heart and at the core of that particular game. And I'd say that is still very much the case for speed running, that a lot of speed running, a lot of games that are um, speed run, that you do have to have an understanding of how the game works and an understanding of the different mechanics and the ability to pull different things off. But there is a bit more of a tilt towards exploiting the game's code and and finding glitches that can really, as you said, turn those multi-hour games into a... Sometimes it can be a five, ten-minute experience depending on how egregious the the exploit is. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably worth unpacking at this at this point, which is this sort of, I, I guess, growth in the genre of speedrunning to the point where, you know, these days there's, you know, quite dedicated uh, discords and um, websites and the like to probably almost any game with any sort of, you know, reasonable following online on how to play these games in not only the fastest way, but the fastest way in, in different ways, which maybe sounds really confusing when you, uh, again, are sort of just first being exposed to this to this concept. But it comes back to what we were just saying where, you know, I feel like so many speedruns these days, and certainly the ones that get the most uh, uh, viewership, tend to be very glitch-heavy. And, and that's where you get things like the Kotaku headline or the IGN headline being like, you know, ocarina of time beat in you know 20 minutes or something along those lines and that gets a ton of clicks uh because as a casual player you play through something like that and you're like oh you know i'd say like seven hours is a pretty fast time or you know you have this concept of what is a quick time to beat the game and it's usually many many hours not uh sub an hour let alone you know sub half an hour at times and then when you watch the game uh or the or the playthrough it's it's you know essentially some very quick commands that basically glitch um, link to the to the final boss fight, uh, and then just having enough uh, weapons to actually fight you know Ganon and, and beat the day and get credits and tick you're done. But you know you don't you don't do anything else in that game, and it's it's almost that you're not really playing the game at that point. You're exploiting the game's code to get a particular outcome, which in this case is to finish it in a particular time period. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, when that first is discovered, it's it's a curiosity, right? And that's what I think attracts a lot of people to watch those videos, particularly helpful when they're not super long, right? Like 20 minutes is, you know, your lunch break and, you know, you just watch it over that and have your sandwich and go, oh, that was cool, and then go back to your day. But I think when what's fascinating is, you know, people don't just stop and go like, oh, how cool is it that you can perform this this subset of glitches that get you to the end in in 20 minutes instead people then take that and go okay well now how can i and others you know perform those specific set of actions and inputs as quickly as we can to shave off seconds to to milliseconds of time to be the fastest in the world at beating it because um while you're maybe not playing the game as intended, there's still quite a lot of, uh, in, not all, but certainly most cases that I see these 
well, this term frame perfect uh, technique comes up a lot, which really means you need to input a very specific button press or stick movement at such a precise time, you know, i.e. one single frame of the game uh, moving on the screen. Um, if you, you know, you hear games move at 60 frames per second uh, or 30 frames per second, uh, and obviously older games maybe 10 or 20 games per second, but that gives you the context of how minimal amount of time a, a frame is um, to execute on a glitch, or if not a glitch, a particular movement within within the game. And that's where you almost need that commentary or that additional knowledge to be able to understand it. Because I think anyone that just watches a, a commentless run of a, a modern speed run, they'll still think it's cool, yeah, cool glitches, blah, 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 but they won't necessarily appreciate some of the more challenging sections because when you're just looking at the game, you're like, oh, okay, yep, he's now here or they are now here, this, this player character but you don't understand how challenging it was to actually execute that, that you know, sub-second movement to make it happen, which is, I think, why I think Games Done Quick as a format has been so good with their system of, you know, having not only the runner play and talk about the game, but then having a couch of, of a select number of people who will commentate and help the runner, you know, talk through the complexities and what's actually happening on the screen. Well, it's similar to watching live speed runs. I find at PAX, for example, I know they, uh, I've stumbled mm. across stages at uh, PAX Oz where there's been people speed running various games, often 3D platformers, because I think that is always a very much, or as I alluded to earlier, platformers have always been a popular speed running genre and 3D platforms particularly as well. And it's interesting to watch an audience a live audience sort of crowded around a screen and watching a particular person attempt to run it. Well, often it is attempting to run using already discovered techniques, as you um, just mentioned. But a lot of the times, it, like, yes, there are big discoveries and particular individuals will stumble across glitches or exploits that really change the dynamics of, of the speed running community around a particular game, but often it is the case of the techniques and the exploits known to enthusiasts of speed running of that game. It's it's the it comes down to the execution. It comes down to the ability to flawlessly execute a series of particular movements, techniques, exploits. To I guess you effectively chain it together to get the best time possible. It's similar. Well, as the the term suggests it's effectively a time trial that that's what you're attempting to do and i don't really want to compare watching a speed run to watching like olympic sports but it's similar to what huddling around a pool and watching olympic swimmers or champion swimmers going after it it's all about that time and yes their strokes are i guess nothing revolutionary but it's it's about the execution even though those are completely different uh my analogy is probably not the best, but I, I think you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, if we're comparing it to other esports and those kind of things, it's very much like, as you said, it's the swimming, it's the you know track and field, the marathon. It's it's not you know basketball or rugby or you know pick your your competitive sport, tennis. Um, it's it's all about almost your own self discipline and yourself sort of training uh and again competing mostly against yourself even though obviously you do compare times with your your actual competitors afterwards uh and i think that's also why often the live elements can can make it extra interesting because you know it's all well and good for someone to in their own time with with no distraction in a in a quiet room perform a very good you know run and get a good score but uh, you know it's much more interesting when it's at a marathon or at a live event, you know, where there's a crowd and there's other pressures on, uh, you know, similar to, again to the Olympics, you know, someone comes out and says, I broke the world record of the hundred meters. Incredibly impressive. Very cool. Much cooler when it's in front of a, a massive crowd cheering and witnessing it uh, and people running, you know, either side of you on the, on the track. Well, precisely. And it's also why often, and it's why that most, more often than not, speedrun attempts are if they aren't live uh, as in at an event with a live audience they are live streamed as you started your um 
as you mentioned, Justin TV was a very early platform for speedrunning attempts because you could have a live chat going because there's an audience. And if you pulled it off, that live chat would erupt and people would be going crazy, going mad. And it, it really is... I, I don't think speed... speed well, I, I don't have to say I don't think so. I can say that outright that speedrunning wouldn't exist if it didn't have that audience um, or the community aspect to it. Yeah, 100%. I, it, it needs that community to really thrive, I think. And that's why, again, when you watch a lot of speedruns, there's a lot of call-outs to, you know... They, they, you know, how do you get into it? You know, it's, you know, how it's weird because some would think if you're really competitive and you want to be the best, you're not that focused on necessarily helping others, right? But a lot of people I observe, and maybe there is a bit of bias here because the, the vast majority are running at a charity event, right? So there's probably some, some personality traits that lend them to this more than others, but. They want people to get involved, learn how to speedrun, learn how to speedrun their game that they love and have a more active community uh, doing it. And, and I think that that's, you know, that competition, that ability to go head to head with someone to actually have like fans, you know, rooting for this person versus that person, even if it's in a hopefully very friendly manner, really, I think, has helped that scene overall grow and grow, uh, as well as I think... Um, like there's a there's a unity under the the concept of speed running that isn't necessarily present in other competitive gaming things right like dota and lol players aren't united in fact they're probably opposed to each other under the banner of but they're not like oh we're all moba competitive players let's help and support each other yes i'm sure there's some i'm i'm painting in you know wide strokes here but it's it's not like the moba competitive community is one unified thing versus speed running which I feel is a bit more everyone's looking out for each other kind of thing. If it's not your game, you're still keen just for someone to speed run a game. Oh, exactly. It's not that fanboyism or fangirlism that exists within those competitive genres where it is the case of, oh, League of Legends is better than Dota 2 and oh, I, I dedicate my gaming time to play Dota 2. I don't really care about League. It's an inferior game and there's that constant conflict and constant tension there whereas if i was a speed runner of i don't know Mega Man 4 and you're a speed runner of castlevania 4 we're not going to hate each other and say oh you speed runner inferior game but there'd be that level of mutual respect because we we're both in the speed running community yes we speed run different games but there's that there'd be that acknowledgement of well speed running is a it's a it, it there's an impressive element to doing it well there's a it takes a lot of time and commitment so there's that mutual recognition and uh i guess um support inherently there because as you said yes it, it might get a bit um competitive if we're, we were both, both speed running the same game and we both wanted to get a world record and there's that sort of rivalry aspect to it but i feel like it is a more united community as you as as you um contended yeah for sure and we've sort of touched on it a bit, but you sort of mentioned what some of the more popular genres are, uh, which I think is probably worth delving into, but also in the context of what, what sort of makes an interesting speedrun or a fun one to both, I guess, do or watch, um, which I think are, you know, two important uh, sides of a coin. And, you know, we sort of, you sort of mentioned platformers and 3D platformers in particular. Do you have any thoughts on why you think those are maybe more prevalent or even potentially more enjoyable than certain other genres to observe. I guess if we unpack that a little bit, Zach, if you think about what genres or what sort of games you can speed run, or is probably inherently limited because speed run a game, it has to have a defined starting point and a defined ending point. So open-ended games would be more difficult to speed run, where for some you'd be able to argue you can because the big open world games that I guess have a story start and end and you can argue that well if you get from the start of the game to the end in a particular time that's speed running it but I think why particular genres like platformers are um, I guess more popular is that I think it, it does come down to the genre and it comes down to the nature of the genre in that at at its core base 
platformers are often about this well platformers are about the skill of the player it's about how well the player can move a particular character around the screen through generally speaking linear levels like that 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 is the heart of platforming yes some platforming games like your Mega Man's will have I guess AI opponents and enemies that you have to traverse or defeat but for the most part it is purely about the movement of your character being able to quickly go from point A to point B through a level, like that is the heart of speedrunning. And that's why I think those genres are particularly built around the formula. Whereas if you take a more action-orientated game where it's about defeating enemies, well, yes, there is that point A to point B element, like your conscious and the like, but due to the subtle differences in the gameplay, it it just doesn't seem as satisfying in uh, watching. And also I think there's an element of, well, when it comes to those glitches and those um, exploits, I think because platformers are around movability, particularly your 3D platformers, that it comes down to game design that there are more avenues for finding those um, well, moments where the game code breaks down and you can exploit it. I, I instantly think about the infamous Sonic... Um, what's the Sonic game called? Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom on Wii U where... They patched it out, but there was an exploit where if you were playing as Knuckles, you could effectively, infinitely <laughs> jump through the entire game to the very end just by pressing the jump button, pressing pause, and chaining that together as long as you can to pretty much get through the game. And I guess that was an example of a speed run exploit that probably isn't that impressive once you realize someone's figured out how to do it, but it's just a very amusing one to watch. Yeah, no, I think if now on a lot of points, you know, it's it's the I think you're right. The platformers, it's often easy to observe the speed, like because it just you know the movement is quick, and that is obvious if you've played the game or not played the game. Versus, you know, like an RPG where it's a bunch of menus moving around, you might not quite as it might not be as immediately obvious how fast someone's moving through a game. And I think yeah, that that glitch element, and I guess the scope of glitches is really important i think it's also why there's so many like good speed runs of like early 3d games uh because not only i guess do you have the whole they've been around for a long time and the nostalgia and there's there's just people wanting to play them uh, and find other ways to play them beyond what they've they did as a kid they're just wrought with with bugs and glitches that you know the average player is never really gonna encounter or maybe will encounter once in a blue moon but someone who's trying to break the game, you know, these glitch hunters that work both for their own purposes and for the speedrunning community will find, well, eventually, uh, through a lot of just, I don't even know what, sitting at a screen and just smashing Mario against every single wall in a game, I guess, to see what happens and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, there's just way more opportunity for these, like, little things that were just let slip because, A, it was... You know, probably a lot of these developers first time ever making a 3D game and uh, B, like any big studio, they've got certain time pressures to get things out and and it, it just makes for this, you know, wonderful spectacle of, of just things that I'm sure make the developers cringe a little bit when they watch in hindsight, but it's it's it makes for a magical sort of mistake, I suppose, or combination of mistakes. And, you know, it's always crazy, like, when you some of these glitches it's just like how, how i don't even understand like how how you discover it because it's like there's just such random things i i think I, a lot of it does come down to people now to the point where they are really picking apart the code and understanding how the code works and then trying to make some like logic leaps of like well if the code works this way uh if we do this in this spot and then we rip the cartridge out and put it back in and it'll hold this memory <laughs> and then Somehow, and do, do a somersault and yeah, exactly. And then, and then it suddenly the you know number goes from one to two, and you know you go from the start of the game to um, the secret final boss, and the final boss is on one health, and you can kill it with just a, a punch, and you're you're done. And it's like impressive because like the time and effort to do that, almost for the sole purpose of this one, you know, very niche hobbyist. Sorry, hobbyist is probably not the right word, but you know what I mean. Niche hobby within a within a hobby, I suppose, is just incredibly, incredibly impressive. Because I, I, you know, from what I can tell, I might be wrong, and maybe it'll change. But I don't think speedrunning is, you know, it's not talked about in the same vein as 
again, like being a, a pro Dota player or a pro COD player or anything like that, it's, I'm sure there's money in it, but it's not like it's, you know, these glitch hunters are, are making fistfuls of cash for the amount of time they probably spend discovering them and then giving them, you know, that information onto speedrunners who then see how they can string it into their to their existing runs or even create a completely new run uh, to try and, again, shave off those seconds from the from the game. It's, it's just pure passion and pure love, I suppose, for for either the game or speedrunning or both that, that drives a lot of these people. It's pure passion. It's not particularly professionalism, which you see in the e-sporting field, because the only time you really hear about money being involved in speedrunning is through initiatives like Games Done Quick, where it's purely for charity, or just as any Twitch streamer, if if it's a Twitch streamer that is a dedicated speedrunner, well, they probably have subscribers and they get money through that and maybe a Patreon at most, but it isn't really a, oh, I'm going to put a $1,000 bounty on who can beat Metal Gear Solid 1 in 20 minutes, and whoever does that, I'm going to give $1,000 to. I don't, I don't think that particularly is a thing. Yeah, and, and even if it is, it's still very occasional. And from what I understand, it is probably even more focused on like glitches. It's like you know, yeah, here's a a hundred bucks for anyone that can figure out how to skip this particular section of a game because it feels like we can, and we just haven't figured out how kind of thing. Because you know, if we skip this section, then all of a sudden we we save an extra whatever many minutes. Um, but again, the it's usually again just personal money coming from like other speedrunners who say I want to to find this this glitch or a glitch that can solve this problem for me, which again, I think only speaks to the passion there. Um, and again, I'm sure the hours spent figuring it out will be well and truly above uh, you know uh, to the point where if if you said you were paying someone you know that amount of money for the time they spent working, it would um, probably go go against the Fair Work Commission for <laughs> some sort of complaint. <laughs> well, what? A worse hourly rate than fruit picking, I bet you. Yeah, no, definitely. And you, and yeah, no, I agree. What I also love, though, and what I also find fascinating is seeing more and more games that don't make sense to be speedrun, be, you know, have speedruns developed out of them. And it, it sort of comes to this you've got to sort of almost predefine, you know, your rule sets, right? Like, it's sort of the saying, as we said, there are, there are glitch, glitch runs, glitchless runs. Uh, if you even think back to use Mario, the original Mario games as an example, and let's say Mario 3, you know, even if you're playing the games completely legitimately with, with no glitches, do you do a run with the warps or without the warps? Um, or even Mario 1, right? Do you, do you skip all those levels through that secret pipe in, in level 2 or do you not? Um, so there's always been like this element of having to pick and choose, I guess, some sets of rules to to go by uh when doing a speed run but but, you know now that means people have also come up with ways to as i said just make games that don't have a logical speed run you know have a speed run um it's almost like a a challenge in of itself is like how can we make this into a speed runnable game and so you see stuff like animal crossing or um the sims get these speed runs which I think, you know, in some ways, those are entertaining, not just through the weird stuff they do as per perennial speed run, but just the creativity of people coming up with a uh, a logical set of rules that one could actually follow to try and, you know, race against these people and, and beat their times. Um, I think, yeah, I sort of just mentioned it, but for me, the coolest was, I think, the GameCube Animal Crossing uh, speed run, where it's, it's, I think the speed run is to pay off your debt to uh, Tom Nook yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was done at a JDQ a number of years ago. But, you know, it, using this, like, reset, change the time, get these items, duplicate these items, sell these items, um, it's it's such a, uh interesting concept that to see a game that's meant to be played, like, for a few minutes every day for years, if, you know, minimum a year, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, to try and achieve a goal like that in... Um, in a few minutes you know probably less impressive today after new horizons and then the answer was just buy a bunch of turnips and then go online and find <laughs> someone with a crazy turnip price um but um back then it was it was a very cool thing to see um i don't know if is there any have you seen any sort of like these like how does this get speed run and then you've watched it and gone man that's actually quite cool now that i've i've observed it over the years probably I, nothing really comes to mind when i think about that particular proposition but i do like how 
it shows a creativity in speed running in that they just they create arbitrary conditions of well this is an activity you do in a particular game how quickly can you do it and they then go about figuring out the most optimal way of doing it and it's it's almost well it's it's subverting what i think initial original speed running was which was that how fast can you finish mario super mario on the nes or how fast can you finish super mario world it's now become more how creative can we be about expanding that into different games and into doing things like paying off tom nook as fast as possible in gamecube animal crossing or 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 similar things like that of well let's take x game and figure out what fun exploits or what exploits or what creative strategies can be utilized and i think really the only it's not quite what you asked but it, it reminds me of the time i was watching a final fantasy 7 speed run and I probably didn't watch it long enough to really get an insight in the different things you could do in that game because it is a turn-based JRPG, so it is very linear in a sense. But, well, there were different things you can do to glitch the game a bit to speed things up. I believe the fastest time at the time for finishing Final Fantasy VII on the PS1 was still, like, hours. So it wasn't like a wham-bam-I'm-done proposition. Yeah, no, 100%. One thing, you know, I think it's worth asking the question. I think I think these days, why does someone get speed running? I think, you know, these days it's because someone sees it and they think it's cool and they want to give it a shot. But it, I think it's curious to explore, you know, why we think maybe people originally decided to, to play a game as fast as they could. And from my perspective, in some ways, I think the idea of, of beating a game fast has always kind of existed, or at least in the early days was present in some form if only for the fact that some games will you know as early as, as again the 80s have timers inbuilt or you know you get a higher score if you beat in a certain time frame like i, I yeah, i'm not saying these developers had the concept of speed running as we know it today in mind but there's there's always been certain thoughts that oh we should you know reward people or at least encourage people to beat games fast at least in certain contexts uh, contexts where it made sense um again you know very obvious easy example is the fact that in um the original mario brothers if you if you're too slow the you you die (laughs) the game it's game over right (laughs) and so you know a player even a kid could easily say oh i beat you know level one one with the timer being you know 256 and then your friend could be like oh well i beat it with the timer being three hundreds still left on the on the clock or i don't i'm probably saying numbers that that don't you know it doesn't actually don't actually need you get, you get the point you're such a scrub yeah, yeah. you're a scrub Zach. Yeah. you are a scrub <laughs> yeah oh mate i've never you know like it's i'm always um i'm always beat mario one one in, in you know sub three seconds you know I'm, I'm just pro it's probably not possible to beat in sub three seconds i'm, I'm sorry i'm just talking out my uh my ass but uh <laughs> yeah i think i think that's definitely an element that's probably encourages it I also think there's just people love certain games and you just sometimes want to find a new way of approving that love or um, just a new way of experiencing something you you love already. It's almost kind of like watching, you know, like Lord of the Rings in a different order or Star Wars in a different order. There's always these like other theories of, of what's the best way to watch these particular sagas, I suppose. When it comes to the sequel trilogy for Star Wars, the best way to watch it is through just starting at the very end of each movie and rewinding so you actually don't watch any of it. (laughs) Oof, big calls. Where does Obi-Wan go? Do I watch Obi-Wan? I don't know. You tell me. I actually haven't Um, watched Obi-Wan yet. So listeners, if you've watched Obi-Wan, you can tell us where to put it in the order. Do you watch it after Book of Boba Fett or before Book of Boba Fett? See, these are these are the important questions. But yeah, I know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on anything else that you reckon is sort of, I guess, why this this phenomenon came came to be? I think you're correct in that it comes from a skill proposition. It comes from the idea of, well, I really like Mega Man. I really like Castlevania. Look how like quickly I can finish these games, and look at look at how well developed my gaming skills have become. That I can easily complete these games at 
from the outside looking in aren't easy games. So it, I think it does go back to that inviting a friend over when you're a child or uh, having a younger or older brother or sister and them watching you play a game and you can tell them, well, oh, I've, I'm really good at Castlevania. I'm really good at Super Mario World. Like, look, look at all the... Look, look what I found. Like, oh, you can go through this warp pipe in Super Mario. You can go through the clouds in Super Mario World. I'm, I found, like, the, the special levels. And it, it comes back to that... We always like to talk about it, you and I, Zach, but it comes back to that community that a lot of games are... I guess the community that games, video games itself seem to be able to create in that wanting to share stories, wanting to share experiences that mm. isn't really in any other medium because of that interactivity in gaming that I think that is the genesis of the appeal of speedrunning because it's another example of where you can create those stories, you can create those tales of things you've done in your favourite game and pass that on to other people that are interested. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. There is that, that love and wanting to share of your, your favourites that I think that, that does play a massive part into it. Uh, and I think this is probably a good time to sort of, you know, we had a feeling the speedrunning topic on its own would be a bit fast and it has, has proven to be a bit quick, uh, as, as one For, would expect. 40 minutes uh, isn't quicker, mate. <laughs> no, well, quick, quick, quicker than, than we usually aim for, let's put it that way. We also wanted to sort of talk about the other self-imposed challenges I'll, I'll call them there's probably better better terminology uh, that one could use where you know people find alternate ways of playing a particular game usually again one they love that maybe go above and beyond what the developers intended and i sort of just wanted to you know use this time to talk about some of the challenges you know i think they stem for the same reasons as speed running right it's often like I've played this game so many times. I love it. I want to keep playing it, but I need just to to freshen up my experience a little bit. So I'm going to try this this new way of doing it, or this potentially more difficult way of doing it. As well as uh, sometimes, you know, it's it's again it, it can spread quite widely on the internet, and other people hear about it, and that's how it it takes on a new form. I mean, a really, really, really um, famous one. We're just going to talk about Nuzlocks for half an hour, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yes, yes, you've spot on. Yeah, so like the the Nuzlocke challenge, which I think I think from memory started from a pseudo, like it was like yes, a self imposed challenge by a person, but then they made it into a web comic, and I think one of their Pokemon was a was a Nuzleaf, hence the yes. hence the name, because otherwise it's completely nonsensical when you think about it. Um, but yeah, the Nuzlocke challenges in Pokemon, where it's like, oh, you've got to only catch the the first Pokemon in an area, and if you miss it, you miss it, and then every time a Pokemon faints, you have to release it. So there's, I guess, it's creating a self-imposed game over that doesn't really exist in an actual Pokemon game, uh, and as well as, I guess, forces you to be a bit more creative in your battling and moveset choices and all that, because, you you know, you don't necessarily get to say, I'm going to have an evenly balanced team of, of these, um, but you can, you know, say the completely just over level your starter and power through that way which people do anyway but yeah it gives you those sort of those choices um and and it fundamentally changes the way you play the game because one of your strategies in pokemon is often gonna be well if you're in a particularly tough gym battle or rival battle you can sac or effectively sacrifice particular pokemon if you think that well you have six they have six and if you play your cards right, well, you only need one remaining at the very end to defeat the challenge and move on. Whereas in a Nuzlocke, well, that has a lot different ramifications than in a normal playthrough of the game. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you think about it, like you're only going to have, by the time you get to, say, the first gym in, in, a, in a normal Pokemon game, have gone through maybe five areas uh, maybe six in some games maybe four in others it sort of depends on which which pokemon game which means you're only going to have a small selection of pokemon and uh yeah you don't particularly want to lose any of them at that juncture because if you find yourself with a single pokemon afterwards yeah you're going to struggle a little bit right so yeah it completely oh yeah it does sort of change the focus and as what many would say is a, is a challenge. Also quite fun because the idea is it builds bonds, right? Like, you know, you, you feel quite emotional over losing a Pokemon, kind of like losing a, a Pikmin or losing a, a Lemming or something like that, you know, <laughs> if, if, to use some other examples. Um, 
but it's certainly taken on a life of its own. But one thing I sort of wanted to bring up here is, particularly for a game like Pokemon, uh, where it's kind of very open to how you play it. Like, I guess, when does it cross over from its, like, a a self-imposed challenge to just playing the game with the tools you're given to play? And I guess what by that, what I mean is, if we, again, just continuing to use Pokemon as an example, but I'll also give some others afterwards. You know, you and I both, like, you know, I'm going to go pick up Pokemon Blue, you go pick up Pokemon Red. We might catch up in a week, and I might be like, oh, yeah, we've both beaten the Elite Four. Uh, I'm about like, oh, it was kind of tough because, you know, I had a full team of six Pokemon, but they're underleveled. Um, but I managed to just, you know, through good move type usage and, and the like, uh, get through it. Uh, and you might be like, oh, I didn't, like, catch that many Pokemon. In fact, I just, again, leveled up my my Charizard to level 85 and just powered through. Um, and yes, it caused me other challenges where he almost fainted sometimes and I was stuffed, but um, that's how I got through it. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, the, the developers had in mind a particular way between our two, those two two methods of how we'd go through it. But I'm sure they also considered, well, yeah, there are going to be some people that maybe just stick to a small selection of Pokemon. They get really strong and others who are going to have a wide variety of Pokemon that are, you know, leveled up quite, you know, evenly or however, given that they hopefully did some mathematics and realized that uh <laughs> there's only x amount of experience you can you can earn and it has to be distributed amongst every pokemon you train i suppose and i guess what i mean is like how do we say oh well a nuzlocke is a is this self-imposed rule set versus say using one pokemon that's just a completely standard way of of playing well i'd argue that firstly it comes down to discipline it comes down to enforcing those self-imposed rules because well at the end of the day this is, it's just games it's it's not life and death well it might be life and mm. death for the pokemon you have but it's a flexible it's a flexibility on a system so you can say that i'm going to play a nuzlocke and part of the enjoyment you're deriving from that is that there's variations of the nuzlocke rules and part of the enjoyment is that you are choosing to commit yourself to this is how i'm going to play this particular game I'm not going to deviate from that. And, well, if worst case scenario happens and I get Lieutenant Surge absolutely wipes the floor with my Squirtle and Geodude and whatever I have in my party at that time, well, that's that playthrough over. I either start again or I move on to something else. Like, that is a particular end point. It's similar to if I decide to play Diablo 3 on permadeath mode and I get very far into it and well, I just die on a boss and, well, that's that playthrough over. I don't even have a choice of trying again because in that example, well, it's taken away from me because I chose to play it on a particular mode. My character is wiped and I can never play that character again. All I have left is the experience and the memories of that particular run. And I think that is what's enticing about the Nuzlocke because, yes, there's also a community around it like speedrunning, but it's that self-imposed parameters you're putting on yourself that is creating an entirely different experience whereas i think what you described is just that's more different gameplay approaches on how to play a game and there's plenty of different other games where that is the case that well you and i can complete a game and do completely different things it's actually it reminds me of fire emblem in that yes there's that permadeath element as well as i as in nuzlocke's and in my example of Diablo, but with Fire Emblem, there's some people that will play it in that they don't want to lose a a unit at all. So if they do lose a unit during a battle, they'll restart the game and try again, and they'll try to finish the game without losing a single hero, which can be very difficult and also, in a way, boxes you in to play a particular way, a generally pretty conservative way or figuring out how best to chain characters together in different abilities to optimize your characters or there's people that will play it as it comes and you lose characters here or there and the developers have taken that into account and generally speaking in those games you gain enough different characters different heroes to be able to account for losing any and generally later in the game you'll recruit new ones that are a particular level that will supplement if you've lost any so uh, but of course you can face a situation where you lose too many characters and it's 
virtually impossible to finish the game. So I think it does come down to that. It's that self-imposed element that you've created a new game. It's no, it's no different to your example earlier of people wanting to speed run Animal Crossing to pay off your debt as quick as possible. Like, yes, that is an element of the game, but that's not... It's not really the the core conceit of Animal Crossing. It's Animal Crossing isn't a game about paying off your debts to Tom Nook, even though as much as we want to joke about Tom Nook... Yeah, that's not, the, that's not what the memes tell me. <laughs> the, the memes tell me it's all about the debt. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's logical. I mean, where... It, it's there's probably still a few areas where it gets a little murky, and admittedly, this is probably with a developer who I have tried to get used to uh, their games and enjoy them, but quite frankly, haven't successfully done so. Um, but I always think with with FromSoft's, you know, Souls likes, as I'm just going to use that term, even if it's it's not my favorite. I prefer ring like. Yeah, ring like, you know, Elden like. Um, but you know, people being like, oh you're a scrub if you play this class or whatever, you know, or like I could never play this class because it completely, you know, ruins the 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 way the game is meant to work, quote unquote, despite the fact the developers made that class and put it in. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Don't question the experts, Zach. The players are the experts. Yeah, well, yes. And, that, and it's interesting because even though to me it feels like that's like, a, again, is a choice which class you go and you might be going class, certain classes for reasons that aren't have zero things to do with, with challenge or difficulty. It might just purely be, I enjoy ranged or I enjoy melee or whatever. Um, but I'm sure for a lot of people, difficulty is a key component to it. It almost feels like people are taking what should just be a use six Pokemon, use one Pokemon decision and, and almost making it feel like it's a self-imposed challenge. Like they're almost saying like, I am, imposing a challenge on myself by choosing that class over another class which i just find fascinating that that mindset and maybe that's very unique to soulsborne because it probably comes back to what you were you were sort of saying brendan with that that want and, and desire to prove your your metal really yeah your skill at a particular game is probably in some respects greater in games that are known to be difficult versus you know um, well, I, I'm still very impressed at someone who can play, you know, Yoshi's story very well. Um, I don't think are Yoshi's... You, are you really? <laughs> well, you know, potentially. I don't know. We'll, we'll watch some Yoshi story speed runs after this and see how impressed I get. But um, I think that, um, you know, in games that are difficult, they, there is that more that community that develops around it of like, well, just how difficult can I get? You know, it's almost like people that are in the... To spicy foods right they just keep thinking how can i make make this spicier and spicier to prove how spicy i can i can sort of you know take my my uh my meals well and it reminds me of achievement hunters and people comparing well oh we both finished Elden ring but did you get all the achievements well i have so that like look at my i've platinumed Elden ring so like look how good i am it's it's uh, I I don't want to I I guess I don't want to um devolve it into this sort of um bragging uh, sort of competition element to it, but I think there is that element of prestige and or oh, look look what I've been able to accomplish. It's it again ties into that community element. Would you really bother if there wasn't other people to talk about and compare yourself to? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, but achievements is something that's actually worth having a quick chat on because I think that's a really interesting development that happened, obviously, I don't know what, Xbox 360 era, I guess, because it was almost a way for developers to put like self-imposed rule sets into games without needing to code it <laughs> in some respects, other than, I guess, a recognition of the achievement being unlocked. Because uh, I always think about, uh, and one of my, my favorites is uh, Left 4 Dead, the gnome chomsky achievement which i can't remember the name of the achievement but basically the you get an achievement for taking this little garden gnome that you can find uh at the start of one of the levels and potentially a couple if i'm not mistaken and one of you needs to carry it all the way through to the end i think without all of you wiping so uh you know it's 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 obviously got there's an intent there like the developers coded the gnome in there um and then added the achievement but it's you know I, I don't pick gnome mode off the main menu and have to do it and i i think that's a really clever way of allowing developers this almost like last minute chance to create some 
some pseudo modes and pseudo like fan rule sets that potentially would have happened anyway, right? Like I, you know, I absolutely reckon if you put a garden gnome in a game, even without achievements, people are going to find a way to make something fun to do with that garden gnome if it's uh, something you can interact with. I certainly would. <laughs> well, exactly, but it incentivizes that exploration. It incentivizes that setting your own limitations and doing random off-the-wall things that well, generally does happen if you have a group of um, friends on voice chat and you're playing through a game like Left 4 Dead. Like, I, I fondly remember a few different Left 4 Dead 2 stories with some mates um, from high school where we got up to a lot of different shenanigans involving elevators and live grenades and the like. But it has been an interesting and positive development in it, um, of developers creating these arbitrary goals within games that I think sometimes there is some effort put in. There's sometimes there, there is often yeah. the case that there's mechanics in a particular game where it's possible to do something a particular way, but it's not necessarily the ideal way of executing it or the way you're normally going to do it. Because I'm reminded of my World of Warcraft days when they did introduce achievements, I think, with the Cataclysm expansion. I might be wrong there, but I think it was around that era and it was often that there were boss encounters during instances and raids where you got some benefits from getting achievements in WoW, I think, or maybe it was just bragging rights. Like I, I've tried to block out my World of Warcraft days from my mind because there was a lot of hours wasted <laughs> or spent playing that game, but it was often achievements of, oh, defeat a particular boss in this dungeon in a particular way, and it was like, so... Clearly, the developers have intended that that is possible, but it's not necessarily what you were going to naturally do as a group. And you'd have to, or sometimes it would come naturally, and other times you'd have to really um, work as a team and figure out the best way of doing something that, well, I don't want to keep on repeating myself, but something you wouldn't normally do. You know, I think, yeah, I think it's probably a mix, right? There's definitely stuff where the developers thought of the achievement and coded it in and then there's probably others where they were play testing the game and they're like oh i wonder if we can do this like you know under a certain time or in, in, under certain conditions and they could and then they're like that's pretty cool let's make it an achievement i mean i have no evidence of that but i can I, you know you can just tell that, that that's sometimes a thing that would happen in the same way again that people have just come up with their own challenges and thoughts uh in the pre-achievement world um that they impose onto themselves the last kind of sort of self-imposed challenge and this kind of you know blends into speed running but i'm sure also is just present outside of speed running as well is just people who play games with you know under really strict external con- conditions right um you know obviously there's people who blindfold uh themselves or will play with you know only certain limbs like their feet or whatever which is also a very interesting uh, and cool sort of development. And I think also what I love about these kinds of self-imposed challenges is they kind of, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I think, you know, maybe initially unintentionally, but maybe this, this has changed. They also, I think, just bring into light some accessibility aspects of, of a particular game or a system or whatever it is in a more broader light, particularly if you've done it like a, a game some quick or, or a big event. Because, you know, there are obviously people who genuinely do not have sight and thus, you know, they play every game as if, you know, uh, someone with sight was using a blindfold or, again, people who use, you know, things other than their hands to play games because their their hands aren't, aren't functioning, which I think is just a very, again, it, it's cool for two reasons. One, it's impressive because, I, I, you know, personally, I can't wrap my head around playing a game without my eyesight. Um, again, I've seen it done, but I still just, still can't picture myself ever do, being able to do it myself and again just spreading that awareness i suppose of of the challenges other people go through just daily because of of how they how they are i suppose the closest you and i will get to that zach is playing super smash brothers with only using one joy con i think yes yes which is challenging enough in and of itself it's like you know if you take playing smash brothers with a Wii remote which was already bad enough but make it 10 times more problematic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, exactly. And I think it's an interesting element. We've, uh, I think we've, we've touched upon accessibility in gaming before and no doubt we'll do so again. And I think 
you're right in that it does create that awareness aspect of the of the piece of well what is actually possible in these games and who can theoretically play them like i you're not going to see a blind run through of Dark Souls anytime soon, I don't think, because of the nature of that game. But there are definitely other genres and other experiences where those limitations or putting those limitations on are possible and there's a direct benefit of doing so other than, oh, look how good I am. I can I can beat this game with one hand tied behind my back. It's more, well, mm. let's see what is possible. I, I think that's sort of what it's more about than a purely bragging um, exercise. Yeah, uh, yeah, and of course, we also have to recognise, obviously, there is a, a difference between I have played a game normally many times and now I'm playing it blindfolded. Because even if, you know, because you still can visualise in your head bits and pieces um, versus someone who's literally never seen the game and is now playing it and beating it, which in many ways makes that even way more impressive, I think. But, um... Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It is it is a very cool thing. But yeah, I think that's, you know, a nice little deep dive into just again this this concept of speedrunning as well as just other types of challenges people can impose onto themselves to to get some more out of the game they love or just, you know, do something a bit different um to what they're used to when playing through a game a bit more casually, I suppose. I don't know, is there anything else you want to add to, to finish off, Brendan, or do you think we've we've covered it all? I think we've covered it all off, and we just need to hope that, uh, like Games Done Quick, I can edit this podcast quick and uh, get this episode <laughs> out in a timely period. But I guess just to finish, I think, it, I think our two conversations really gel well together in talking about speedrunning and then talking about limitations, or well, self-imposed limitations you put on when you're playing games. and. I think it really does open up many different genres of games to new experiences and really increases the playability of uh, a lot of games to a great degree. And it's really, it's a, it breathes new life into your favorite game. So definitely, if you think that you've played Pokemon Ruby 10 times and there's no other ways of playing it, but you have fond memories of playing it, maybe consider doing a Nuzlocke or consider playing Fire Emblem, but not worrying about your characters dying and see how far you can get. If you play games in a different way than you naturally do, a whole, I guess, new perspective can be opened up about how those games were designed and how you can experience them, which is quite an interesting and exciting thing, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. And the the fantastic thing about also what we've talked about today is we're, we're talking about doing stuff that requires you know, virtually no effort in terms of just getting started, right? If you own the game already versus, you know, there's this whole other world of modifications and actual changes you, that people make to their games, which which is a whole other kettle of fish we may tackle at some point in the future. But this is just stuff you could, you know, you literally can go to your console of choice, your game of choice right now and Google some other way of playing it or just try and beat it very fast and, and get started as you're listening to this. Yes. Contact us and tweet at us about how quickly you can finish Darksiders 2. That is my challenge to you, listeners. Darksiders 2. And don't ask me why I chose Darksiders 2, because I haven't even finished it myself, and I don't think Zach has either. But Darksiders 2. No. No, shout-outs to, I think it was Vux. I won a copy of Darksiders 2 on some competition on the Wii U, I think, a long time ago. So thanks, thanks, folks, for that. And we are def- back then. We are definitely not being sponsored by THQ Nordic, nor have we been acquired by THQ Nordic yet. We have not been embraced yet. No, but yes. So Brendan set his challenge for you. Uh, my challenge is for you to listen to this podcast while playing some sort of singing game. So like SingStar or a rock band or a guitar hero after they added the singing. Uh, I'm sure there's also a lot of free singing games online. I think it was like karaoke party or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah, listen and try and sing some songs at the same time and see how you go and please report back. Or maybe you have your own challenge on how you want to consume this podcast in a different way uh, to usual. 
So please let us know what that is. Make sure you're singing good songs like classic rock, like Elton John or Queen or Kiss or Led Zeppelin would be my suggestion. Yes, exactly. Now, if you want to get the achievements, the actual, like, these are the, the, the challenges that we set in the game as, or in this podcast as part of part of our usual usual weekly dealio. The main one, of course, is subscribe and you know, leave us a review, preferably on Apple Podcasts, but if you use another service of any kind, we appreciate, you know, reviews and, and subscriptions. You know, Spotify, I think, we're on that. I can't remember. We're definitely on Spotify, Zach. I put us on there with my own bare hands. There you go. So Spotify probably very good to get reviews on that as well whatever you listen on again it can't hurt to have some positive reviews uh, and hopefully it's through a service that notifies us and we will we will read them you can obviously contact us as we said at blowcartpod on twitter or blowingcartridge at gmail.com if you prefer the emails blowingcartpod on facebook as well even though it's still broken um challenge to facebook is to fix your platform because it's just stuffed all the time and of course, if you want to go the extra mile, you can reach out to us individually. I am at Eggerino on Twitter, and Brendan is at Tamazoid. I think that's it. Brendan, you, I'll throw to you to, to close us out. Thank you, Zach. It's been a wonderful episode as always. Keep on listening to this great podcast. I recommend not speed running the podcast because I've, I've tried it before whilst editing. Uh, Zach and I do not sound very good at two times speed. So. Please don't do that. Listen to this podcast at normal speed. Uh, Enjoy it and look forward to the next episode. Thank you, everyone.